Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Premier League post-match podcast with Republic of Ireland and Ipswich legend Matt Holland, TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook and me, Sam Matterface. Frank gets curt with Zuma after centre-back almost hands Tottenham the game after Chelsea dominate Derby Day draw with old foe. Edding in the right direction, Cavani comes off the bench to rescue Manchester United at St Mary's and it doesn't get any better for Arteta as Arsenal make their worst start to a season in the Premier League Ever. Also this week, it's 8 in 8 for Diogo, but Liverpool don't get a lotter despite a super goal from Jota. But was it really a gross injustice? Newcastle score two goals, Burnley get bullied, and Sheffield United are officially the bluntest blade since the invention of a butter knife. All that and a look ahead to Monday night's action on the podcast that has the drip of Calvert Lewin and the source of Tom Davis. It's the Game Day Premier League post match pod from Talk Sport. This is Game Day. Hello to Matt Holland. How are you? Good evening. Very well indeed. Yourself? Yes, very good. Thank you very much. And uh, Alex Crook commentated on his own team this week. How are your emotions? A roller coaster ride through uh, the journey that is life under Solskjaer? Yeah, there are a few uh, pens flying through the commentary booth in that first half I have to be honest but um, obviously Oli made the, the positive change at half time bringing on Cavani who should have started the game and uh, not for the first time coming from 2-0 down to win 3-2 at St Mary's funny that there was pens being thrown about the commentary box because actually the, the miracle was that this week there was no pens in a Manchester United game <laughs> yeah, they can score from, from open play. Do you know my favourite stat from that game? Uh, Jan Bednarek scored for Southampton. It's his third goal in three different games. In every game in which he scored, they've been 2-0 up at half-time and lost 3-2. <laughs> That's terrible news. Oh, dear. That, he won't want to... Uh, they won't want him on the score sheet again, will they? I mean, would you stop go in, going up for corners? Do you go into dressing rooms after games like that and say, "Yeah, just stop scoring for us"? <laughs> I mean, that that is incredibly unlucky for him, isn't it? Yeah, Matt. What would you do in that situation? Would you just say to him, "Look, mate, it's probably better hanging around <laughs> the probably, edge of your own eighteen-yard box." Probably just leave him out. I mean, I, Crook, Crooky. Honestly, I, I saw your tweet at half time. Actually, you said it, United was so bad; it's laughable. I actually, I actually totally disagree with yeah. you. United played all right. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I actually, they think, actually played all right. Uh, let, let's get to it. I'll tell you what. You know, let's first of all listen to some of his com- commentary, if we can, and uh, and then we'll have a little look back at what actually happened during the game. Look. 
lurking on the edge of the area. Swift oh. in towards the goalkeeper and headed in by Jan Bednarek. Southampton with virtually their first shot on target take the lead. Try and double Southampton's lead. Right footed and it's, oh, it's in. No. James Ward Prowse doing what James Ward Prowse does, but David De Gea has had an absolute nightmare in the Manchester United goal, having got across to his near post. He can only push it into the back of the net, and Southampton, with 13 minutes to go until half-time, lead Manchester United by two goals to nil. Here's Cavani, right-hand side of the area, crosses, Fernandes shoots and scores, and Manchester United are back in the game. United trail, punched away by McCarthy, only as far as Fred, and Fernandes shoots, deflected, and Cavani equalises for Manchester United, the flying header. And from 2-0 down, it is Southampton 2, Manchester United 2. He points to the name on the back of his shirt, Edinson Cavani. Rashford's cross, Cavani's header! And Manchester United have won the game with his second of the afternoon. The comeback is complete for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm, I'm with Matt. United had not played particularly badly before Cavani's introduction, but they look so much more accomplished with him on the field. I don't think anyone would argue against that. They just took their chances for one. What I was really concerned about was in the first half was how many they missed. I mean, Rashford played through the middle, missed chances. Greenwood had a one-on-one, missed chances. Um, Bruno Fernandes missed chances, even when they were being gifted opportunities by Alex McCarthy in that first half an hour of the game, Matt Holland. I, they did create did I? I mean, I don't think Southampton played very well at all. No. Um, you know, when you've got someone of the quality of James Ward-Prowse, obviously you, you, you can cause opposition teams problems, and that's exactly how it panned out. He, he, he set the first one up from the corner, um, scored the second, but United played okay, I thought, and did create chances and, and opened up Southampton quite regularly in that first half. It, it was a different team though with Cavani on. Um, I've always admired him. In terms, of, I, I think he misses. He's he's actually someone that misses a lot of chances. Cavani, um, when I've watched him throughout his career, uh, but I've always admired his work rate and his intelligence. And I think that came to the fore in the second half for United. And I, I thought his first goal was a a true goal scorer's goal. When you when you watched it, he was the only one in the move on the move in the box. Mm. He was the only one that was anticipating where that ball might go. Um, and I, I thought he was excellent when he came off the bench. I was sitting next to Andy Cole throughout the course of the game and he was bemoaning the lack of movement before Cavani came on to the field of play. And funnily enough, actually, it was interesting to hear Ole Gunnar Solskjaer afterwards compare the movement of Cavani to Andy Cole. He he reminds me of Andy in the way that he sort of moves inside the box and causes all sorts of problems. Um, I was also a little bit concerned about Juan Bissaka, who was getting zero protection in that right-back area, mainly because Manchester United were playing a midfield uh, quartet in a very odd shape. it turns out in the crook, I suppose, that the diamonds aren't always forever. No, it, it didn't work, the, the diamond. But we could have predicted that before the game because the one thing you know about Southampton is they're going to be combative in midfield. They're going to try and keep it tight. So the, the, the diamond was never going to work because it just took away any natural width that United had and the chance to get in behind the Southampton fullbacks who do love to get it forward. And that's the one area of the team where probably you, you can... Ex- 
exploit them. And certainly in the second half, Wambasaka was much more effective bombing on down that right-hand side. Actually put some good crosses into the area as well. I think his end product and his creativity is improving uh, week by week. There's never been any question about his defensive abilities, but it's going the other way uh, where maybe he's lacking behind some of his modern contemporaries. But he had a good game in the second half. Van der Beek saw more of the ball in the second half as well and had a growing influence. Matic and, and Fred for me didn't really work and I think I think it's an interesting one now because we, we've seen in midweek and we've seen in this game they're a better team with Cavani as the focal point but it's how you fit in all of those other players Martial didn't um take part in the game because he fell sick at the team hotel Rashford was a little bit off the pace I, th- I thought and obviously Greenwood would have been very disappointed to be taken off at half time so it, it will be fascinating now to see how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sets his team up next weekend against West Ham does he deserve credit Matt Holland for changing it and turning the game around yeah he does I mean as I say I, I didn't think he, they played particularly bad in the first half anyway I mean, I've just said that anyway but it needed it needed freshness it needed something at half time um, and, and obviously Cavani provided that um, so yeah I, I mean he, he does deserve credit for that eight, eight away wins on the spin now in the Premier League the way they play does suit being away from home you know they, they are genuinely a good counter-attacking team and being away from home it suits them more using their pace on on the break um trying to break teams down we've seen at home it's been a, it's been a more difficult task for them at times uh interesting as well wasn't it you know we, we talked about Cavani but there was another half-time change for United and Dean Henderson coming in, coming on in goal as well and that is going to be interesting in the weeks going forward as well because although he didn't have a lot to do he was very composed, accomplished in what he did have to do, and 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 then vocal as well. And I think that's quite important. You know, United are quite a quiet team, and when you've got you know a bit of a voice at the back as well, I think that makes a difference. So it's going to be interesting in the next couple of weeks what he does, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, with his goalkeepers. Well, it was interesting. I think that it was an injury the reason that he he brought off David de Gea. I don't think anyone was really apportioning him much blame for the. James Ward-Prowse free kick were they? No, no. It was. I mean, it was an injury. He bashed his knee into the post, and it was quite clearly an injury that, that prevented him coming back on the pitch. But the reason I raised this, Matt, is because what, there was a commentator who did blame the goalkeeper. Uh, I think. Was there, correct? Yeah, I thought De Gea could have done better. Um, I wasn't convinced by his starting position and having got across. Can I, um, all right, we'll stop there I for a second. He could have been let stronger me, in terms of trying to save the shot. Let me just ask Matt. I think the wall was set up to protect that side of the goal and therefore it was the wall's job to stop it from getting that far and he was on the other side protecting the other side of the goal and for him to get over to the ball was difficult enough and I don't think it would have been difficult I think it was too difficult for him to drag it back I've got to be honest I, I, I don't think a wall can stop James Ward-Prowse and, and I say that in, yeah. in a way that the, the goals he scored I think at Aston Villa um, the, the one of the goals that he scored was right on the edge of the box and to get that up and over the wall and down in time to score was you know, unbelievable. So, so I don't think the wall actually does much anyway when James Ward-Prowse is, o- is over the ball. If, if anything, you'd, you'd almost be better at not having one and letting the goalkeeper see it all the way. 
Um, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we're getting to that point with, with him. He's, he's got so much quality that you're almost better just not having a wall and letting the goalkeeper see it all the way. Okay. Um, so I, look, I, I, I just don't think that you can say it was his fault that the goal went in. I think ultimately you've got to acknowledge that James Ward-Prowse is a supreme being when it comes to set-piece execution and we just have to doff our cap and say, look, you know, this, is a, this is a special talent. And it comes through hard work, doesn't it? I mean, you've spoke to him a lot. Crook, he, he's someone who has honed this technique over many, many a year yeah um, right back when Southampton were, were first promoted to the Premier League I remember speaking to him at their Staplewood training ground and he said that he spends hours practicing and, and watching videos of David Beckham actually and you can see big similarities between the way that he um, stands his stance and the way he strikes the ball as David Beckham um, only David Beckham in terms of English players have now scored more goals direct from free kicks than James Will Prowse's level uh, with Frank Lampard and uh, Steven Gerrard I think with nine Beckham's got 18 so still somewhere way to go uh, but Matt's absolutely right and actually in commentary uh, I said to Paul Parker David De Gea will be prepared that this shot is going to be on target because Will Prowse's free kicks are almost always on yeah, target that's true I spoke to Theo Walcott on Friday night and he said this Saints team are one of the best he's played in the spirit and unity is very very good he said um, and that was there to be seen they are a good side um, Hassan Hootel said afterwards he thinks they're getting better and better and better I don't think they were as good today as I've seen them previously. And I think that they can improve, but they've got the makings of a very good team, Matt. Yeah, I like them. I, I, I think they have got the makings of a decent team. Um, I, they miss Danny Ings when he's not in the side. You know, some of the goals that he scores from positions that you're probably not expecting to score from at times as well. And when you've got a player like that in your team, you're always likely to, to give um, or get to, to win points. So it, there is a good organisation about them. There's a good pace about them. But I agree with you. I don't think they played particularly well today. And, and actually, United deserve to win. Let's move on to Arsenal against Wolves. Uh, the latest on Raul Jimenez being that he is up and conscious, but he was taken off during that game after what was a sickening clash of heads between him and David Luiz. And when you watch it without the extra crown effect, you can hear the sound of the two heads smashing together. It is it's a horrible it's it's a, it's a frightening sound. Um, what troubled me maybe even more than the Raul Jimenez thing because they took him off straight away and he went off to hospital was the fact that David Luiz came back onto the field of play yeah I agree um, and, and you could see that the blood never stopped it was constantly pouring from that head head wound and coming through to the bandage the fact they've taken him off at half time for me is a clear indication that he was concussed and I think it was um, a neglect of duty of care for the player that he stayed on in the first place and I'm not convinced we've heard the end of that because we know um, the Premier League are trying to enforce much stricter um, concussion protocols and I don't think they were adhered to I do wonder if we're getting to the stage now because obviously the, the final the decision is with the Arsenal club doctor and clearly it was in Arsenal's interest to keep David Luiz on the pitch do we almost need an intermediary yeah. a neutral doctor to make that decision I think actually when the new rules are published in on June the 1st this year there will be a concussion substitute that is allowed in which you can take a player off for five minutes for a proper assessment by an independent doctor it's a difficult one for me to talk about this because as a player that that regularly got cuts and regularly was bandaged up in games to, to carry on. Um, I, I had stitches at half time in matches. I've had bandages. I've had cuts. It's, it's a difficult one because, you know, ultimately I, I wanted to play. And, and it, you know, were you ever concussed? 
no so 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 no i was always fine in that respect um the, the, I, I, obviously our thoughts now with raul jimenez as well and and hopefully he's okay because it was a sickening clash and my mind immediately went to ryan mason you know someone yes. who's who, yeah. who suffered a, a serious head injury in the past and, and i don't think there was any blood in that incident either and, and raul jimenez i don't think was cut either it was the noise and the and the fact that he was down for so long my, my thought immediately went to ryan mason and, and fingers crossed raul jimenez is going to be okay because that was great a- character from wolves by the way because you know it would have affected the wolves players as teammates and nuno as his manager difficult i'd imagine matt in those circumstances to keep your focus on the game that they managed to do that and grind out a victory i think is is testament um to their mental toughness as well yeah, it was horrible. It, 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 when something happens like that on the pitch, I think from both sets of players, actually, you know, it, it's sickening to see. And, and you know, you, I think I think the players were affected by it immediately in the after, aftermath of the incident. Um, but I thought Wolves were, were worthy of the three points as well. And the, the Pedence goal was just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? You know, that little bit of skill, the way he dinks it over over the goalkeeper and um, oh, Gabriel, sorry. And I thought it was, I thought it was a, a fabulous goal from him. And, and Wolves were thoroughly deserving of the three points as well. In the words of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, does it, did it have sauce and drip or just drip or just sauce? Wait, what? It had a bit of sauce and a bit of drip. Did I thought it, it was yeah. that good. Yeah, OK. Um, certainly, uh, Mikel Arteta is looking like a bit of a drip, isn't he? Uh, because uh, a year after the dismissal of Unai Emery, they've made their worst start to a Premier League season ever. Perry Groves texted me on the full-time whistle and he went, I hate football. Football is dead. It's over. Um, they're not playing very well either, are they? I mean, they've scored two goals in six league games. And they've got very expensively assembled strike force. What what does he do here? I mean, because he's got to take some blame, Matt, because tactically the framework is so rigid, it, it, it sort of constricts their forward players, doesn't it? Do you know, when, he, when he's come in, the first thing he's done is, is say, we're, there's a stru- we're going to put a structure in place. We're going to make it more difficult for teams to break us down. We're going to yeah. be harder to beat. And I can understand that because they were a team that were very open, um, gave you a chance. And I could understand his thoughts, thinking we need to sort that end of the pitch, pitch out because going forward we're going to we're going to score goals. That's no problem at all. But actually, by sorting out the defence and, and trying to be more difficult to break down, he's taken away from some of the attacking play. But you as have well. to be flexible, don't you? And you have to recognise that. And it was pretty clear to say. I mean, I've spoken to him about it. He said he didn't want to play like the way he played in the FA Cup semi final or the FA Cup final for forever. He wanted to develop the team so that they could play with a bit more flair. But that, I haven't seen that, Alex. No, me neither. Um, and, and what surprised me most is that the, the majority of Arsenal fans still seem firmly in the Arteta in camp. I mean, you've mentioned that stat. Uh, they've got their fewest number of points, 10 games into a Premier League season. He's got a worse record than Bruce Rioch and indeed Unai Emery, who uh, was dismissed arguably for far less, you know, far better performances than what we've seen this season under Mikel Arteta. I don't think I we thought- should look at, back at that through rose-tinted um, glasses. I mean, he, it was pretty incoherent under Emery as well. Yeah, I, but it, what would worry me is the body language, in particular of, of Aubameyang. He, he, to me, looked like a player who's got the weight of the world on his shoulders today. He's clearly not enjoying his football. I don't think he had a single shot on target in this game. Arsenal, as a team, didn't have a shot on target in the second half. And I think he's only had 13 shots on target, Aubameyang, over the course of the campaign. So it's not like he's missing chances. The team aren't creating for him. Yeah, I mean, it might not be the weight of the world. It might just be the weight of the the, the salary and the backpack if they're paying.
paying him in cash. I mean, it's like I, I don't. I don't think he's down tools because he's no, on I massive money. I don't see tools. that. I just don't. I don't think, see that. I just don't think the team is set up in a way. I don't think the team is set up in a way uh, to serve him or serve anybody else in that front line, and which is a problem. Matt, he's got to work out a way of getting the best out of him because he's his best player yeah. and that's you, you know when, when you're managing a team you've got to work out who, who's going to win your games but you also have to make sacrifices don't you because it's alright turning around and saying I can't carry Meza Ertz so he doesn't give me enough work the other way so I've got to bin him off I can't carry Genduzi because he's a loose cannon so he's got to go off I can't carry um, a Bukayo Saka because he doesn't give me enough op- you know enough protection at the back I've got to put more of a rigid structure in you can't keep binning off players that give you creativity if you are not A, getting results or even B, scoring any goals. You've got to come up with something. Yeah, he's got he's got to find a way of getting the best out of him. I, I mean, Crookie and I did their, their game in Europe and he played he played Lacazette as a, as a number 10. Um, and I actually, uh, I, I don't think Lacazette had, the, had his best game, but I actually thought the system worked quite well. And, and I thought that might be a way of getting the best out of, of Aubameyang as well. Um, it, I, Clearly, he's better, or you'd think he'd be better through the middle rather than out wide. You think he's going to get more chances if he plays through the middle rather than out wide. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, he's got to, he's got to somehow find a way of getting the best out of him, and, and at the moment, he isn't. Shall we turn our attention to Chelsea against Tottenham? Nil-nil, it finished at Stamford Bridge. They shared the spoils in a game where the Blues had a goal ruled out correctly for offside. Tottenham were presented with a real chance to steal it in the final moments when Zuma gives it to Lo Celso. What are you doing? Uh, but in the end, and I think this is true, I think both will be relieved that they didn't lose the game. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Chelsea did more to go and win it mm. than than, uh, than Spurs did. Uh, you said about Zuma almost presenting Spurs with a winner. Well, actually, Spurs almost presented Chelsea with a winner because Rodon's header um, put Giroud in on goal and, and he should have done better yep. faced up with his international teammate uh, Hugo Lloris as well. So they both sort of made mistakes near the end of the game. Um, but I, I thought Chelsea did more to go and win it and they'll be... They'll probably be a bit more frustrated. They haven't got the three points. Um, Jose Mourinho has helpfully uh, sent an Instagram out in which he's got a picture of him and Hugo Lloris saying, one shot, one save. Well done, Hugo. We're not happy, but that's the way we are. We showed great spirit. I thought he might have put a picture up of a bus or something and it, it, a back six of Sissoko and Hoybier in that back four those four centre-backs as well because that's what he did yeah, and he, he did, did it you know he did it against Man City last week as well he played he played Sissoko and Hoybier so deep and they were almost in the back four um, and he did it again at Chelsea but he's got four points from, two, and from Man City at home for that. Chelsea away absolutely and you know he'll play Arsenal next week and he probably won't have to do that because uh, you'll probably <laughs> they don't create any chances so you could probably afford to uh, uh, to leave the car park bare uh, but Chelsea did have more of the ball 13 shots to 5 Spurs offered very little going forward in the in, in the second half I thought um, Mount was stopped by Lloris at the end as well the Bergvine chance was an okay one men he saved it I thought it was a routine save actually uh, but both teams are sh- starting to show that steal at the back Crook did they show you anything and will they admit it themselves that they are contenders for the division this year um, I think it's probably still too early to say what What I would suggest 10 games it, in now 10 games in now. yeah, yeah. What, I w- what I would say is that I think Jose Mourinho showed that deep down he is still a manager who in the big games 
is more concerned with not losing than he is with winning. And I wonder in this very congested... That's an upgrade for Spurs though, isn't it? Yeah, but I do wonder in this very congested, very tight season that that come the crunch, when Jurgen Klopp is is clearly a more positive coach and his first instinct is to try and win the game, I wonder if ultimately that will set Liverpool apart from Tottenham. But I would also ask the question, is there more pressure arguably on Chelsea to finish in the top four and challenge for the title, given that they qualified for the Champions League last season, the money they've spent, than Spurs? You could argue that Spurs actually are probably ahead in their development of maybe where Jose Mourinho expected them to be 10 games into the season. There's a brilliant stat actually doing the rounds as a result of Jose Mourinho's taunts to uh, uh, Frank Lampard about the number of pounds that he has spent. Well, since uh, Frank Lampard Part has been the manager of Chelsea since he was appointed the manager of Chelsea. Um, Mourinho's uh, Tottenham Hotspur have spent two hundred thirty-eight point five million pounds and sold fifty-nine point nine million pounds worth of players, which means their net spend is one hundred seventy-eight million. Chelsea's net spend for the same period is twenty. Four, so I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, money bags Chelsea is not the same money bags Chelsea as when he was in charge, and it was just mind games at the beginning uh, of the game. But what do you think, Matt? Are they title contenders, both these two teams? Yeah, I think they. Ha- I think we have to consider them as title contenders because, like you say, ten games in now. If you if you look at the lead table, Man City are in tenth, and they've got a game in hand on the teams at the top. Which they'll uh, win. They're sixth. Six points off the top and uh, win it. They're only three points away. It's the most open title race that, that we've seen for, for many a year. I, the, there's probably six or seven teams that will, will feel they're in with a chance of winning it. I, I think Manchester City will be top by Christmas. That wouldn't surprise me. Mm. OK, that let's get on to Saturday and a mood has descended on Merseyside. We are off and underway under the beautiful blue skies down here in East Sussex. All over the top by Fabinho in towards Salah edge of the area. First time strike towards the near corner and it's narrowly wide of Matt Ryan's goal. And into the path of Mope and he sends Connolly through in behind Fabinho and racing into the box. He shoots over the goalkeeper and just wide. What a chance for Brighton to take the lead. Connolly inside the area. There's a tangle of legs and there is a call for a penalty kick and it's going to be a penalty for Brighton against Liverpool. Mope steps up, right-footed, sends it wide of the goal, and it's a huge miss. It's a huge miss from Neil Mope. Onto Salah, racing through the centre. Goalkeeper comes out, Salah puts it past him, and Liverpool lead by a goal to nil. I think this is going to be chalked off, you know. I think it's going to be a possible off... It is a possible offside. I think it's going to be an offside goal. No goal. All into Salah, then onto Jota. Good touch. Takes it past two defenders. Right footed shot towards the far corner and scores a terrific goal. It's an absolutely brilliant goal from the man of the moment, Diogo Jota in towards the near post. Mane with a header. Terrific goal. Oh, they're checking another. Well, I think it's going to be ruled out. They're checking another one. Yeah, just from my angle, it looked like he was offside. Two goals they've had disallowed in the game. They're checking a possible penalty here for Brighton. And I've got to admit, we didn't see much wrong with this challenge on Welbeck. Right, but he has caught his foot and it is a penalty to Brighton. Here is Pascal Gross then. Now as he finally steps up to take this penalty kick and slams it down the middle and Brighton have equalised in the second minute of stoppage time and it's Brighton 1, Liverpool 1 at full time Brighton 1, Liverpool 1 first of all it's not a penalty it's not a penalty in the real world it's not in the real world it's not a penalty it's never a penalty but in the brainwashed football world of VAR no contact uh, kiss chase it is 
because it's the same level of contact as Masuaku and Salah, which I don't remember Liverpool complaining about, but why would they? Does it pass the Adrian Durhamometer? Would you spill a pint of beer or drop a baby if you had that level of contact? The answer to that is quite clearly no, but it is still a penalty in the current um, climate, let's say. But forget that for a second. Forget the rant about broadcasters injuring James Milner because they didn't do that. Uh, Liverpool had two shots on target in this game. Yes, two rightly disallowed goals as well, but two shots on target, Matt. Six off target. Brighton had 11-3. and three. Liverpool didn't do enough to win this game in the first place. Do you know what? One of the most surprising stats I saw before that game yesterday was Brighton um, have got the uh, least expected goals against. Yeah, because they don't face any shots. The problem is, is the goalkeeper keeps letting them in. Well, I'm just, so I'm just saying, so Liverpool to have, to have only two shots, that's because Brighton are actually you know, not giving up too many opportunities. Yeah, they don't. So there's, there's a there's a you know obviously a reason there, and I, that was a surprising stat to me. It was it was a day that um, I guess in Jurgen Klopp's eyes everything went wrong. The fact that he had the, the you know the, the chat about the early kickoff and and wasn't happy about that. James Milner then getting injured. Um, Salah's reaction to being subbed as well <laughs> that didn't you know that didn't go down well. With you're never him. happy when you're subbed though, are you? No, right? no, absolutely. Well, he's 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 greedy for goals and he's greedy for the golden boot. Yeah. Quite simple. Um, and then giving up the penalty late on. So anything that could have gone wrong yesterday for for Jurgen Klopp went wrong. I don't want to pick up everything on on what he said on Saturday because I I have a degree of sympathy with anyone who's injured for a start. I just don't like the debate at this time when so many other people are suffering. Just play the songs and smile through it, folks. But Milner's injury. Klopp, who has complained about the lack of the five subs, made an unnecessary substitution at half-time, a tactical sub, when he takes off Nico Williams. He didn't need to do that. He could have replaced Milner at half-time with Henderson if he wanted to protect his older players. And Milner is the one that ends up getting injured. I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. I was doing the game yesterday and and five minutes before half-time, I said said he's going to take Nico Williams off. He was struggling and he he struggled there last year as well. You could see it was a problem. And so, you know, given the penalty away, I I thought it was an an obvious sub to make at half-time. But I, I wouldn't mind giving a bit of credit to Brighton as well yes. for their performance yeah. and actually learning from previous mistakes because this is a team that do like to play out from the back they've overplayed out from the back they keep trying to pass it out and give goals yeah. away and they've done it against the big boys regularly well this time do you know what they did? they bypassed yes. that high press and played long played Connolly got in behind Liverpool on regular occasions and actually I thought Graham Potter has learned from previous mistakes and, and did a good job tactically yesterday I, I, there was a couple of times in the second half where I thought careful you're doing it again don't do it but apart from that I thought it was very well managed actually and it was something we touched on on Thursday on the preview podcast that they couldn't do that this time around because they're playing the best pressing team in, in the country look it's not all that bad for Liverpool they're within touching distance of the top spot and it could be worse they could be Neil Mopé who became the first player to start a Premier League game miss a penalty and be replaced before half time since Dennis Burkamp in 1998 against Derby. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Let's move on to Everton against Leeds. It's not gone particularly well. Everton recently, who after a bright start when they won seven games on the trot at the beginning of the season, have found themselves victorious in just one of the last six. And that was against Fulham. Uh, And they almost threw that away. Um, This was a very good football match, though, wasn't it? I mean, Crook, Leeds were worthy winners, I thought. But what a match. Yeah, I think football was the winner, um, to be honest. Two sides who tried to play the game in the right way, created plenty of chances. I actually think Jordan Pickford came out of the game um, with a lot of credit. He's obviously had his detractors this season, but he made some very important saves, particularly in the first half. But you're right, I think Leeds probably were the better team. A clean sheet will please Marcelo Bielsa because they've been hard to come by. But again, we saw with Everton without uh, Luca Dean, who was excellent in that win against Fulham, they do lack depth in squad and I think ultimately that's going to be a problem for them this season and Luca Dean is so important um, to what they do in terms of creating chances and and the number of assists that he provides for the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin that if he is going to be out as Carlo Ancelotti is indicated for the next two or three months that's a major concern. Everton have a week to prepare for the next Premier League game it's against Burnley you would expect them to get points in that game they need to start getting points in a game somewhere because they've lost too many recently and and Carlo Ancelotti I think started to to get a little bit irritated by the fact that they they haven't been able to win matches especially at home they've lost the last two there I think their fan sights will be lowered now I think with the start that they made to the season one or two Evertonians perhaps were getting a bit carried away talking about the the glory days of the 1980s coming back there are so many good teams competing for that top four top six they'll probably still finish eighth, Everton. That's probably about where 
their, their, their level I think in the Premier League uh, Leeds are going to go down to Stamford Bridge and beat Chelsea on the same day 8 o'clock kickoff. Uh, that one that's live on Talk Sport in fact both those games Everton Burnley and uh, Leeds against Chelsea are on Talk Sport at 8 o'clock next Saturday um, talking of Burnley Manchester City beat them by 5 goals to nil now psychology Matt plays a big part in football we know this uh, but Burnley have got a mental problem with Manchester City haven't they they are beaten before they go on the pitch They've lost seven of their last 10 Premier League games anyway, so they're not in particularly good form. But Manchester City have won their past seven meetings with Burnley by an aggregate scoreline of 28 goals to one. That, I'm afraid, is not normal, is it? Well, it's, it, it, yeah, mental block, but it, there's, a, there's a massive gap in quality. There well, is, but not everybody loses 5-0 every time they go there, which happens well, to that was a ba- it was a banker, wasn't it? They lost the last two there, 5-0. It was it was going to be five. I mean, it, Bailey Peacock Farrell did his best to make it six and seven, <laughs> but, but even even he got away with those. So it was still it was still their customary five. Um, the beating I, uh, City were were good, weren't they? And it, it, they've been threatening to do it. I mean, I, I think you know the, um, they've not been quite as bad as some people have made City out to be. They did they uh, weren't scoring goals. That was a problem for them. And Kevin De Bruyne had a field day, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. I thought he was excellent. Pulled strings, and and well, he, we know how good a player he is. And obviously, Mares getting his his hat trick as well. Do you know, they've struggled. They've struggled to get into those positions where you know you see those little cutbacks for Sterling to tap in, score those little five and six six yard tappings that we've seen so regularly. They've struggled to do it. They struggled to do it massively against Spurs because Spurs were so deep and di- you know didn't allow any space in behind them. Um, but Burnley were gifted them a few. I mean, gifted them some of the goals. It gifted the ball away at times. There was space for them to exploit. And 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 City, you know, be, I think they've been threatening to do it. And obviously, you know, that will give them a bit of confidence in front of goal now as well. Matt, what was the pick of the goals for you? I, I like to be honest. I I liked all, I liked all the goals. I mean, I, the, the one where he comes in on his left foot. It's his, it, again yeah. a trademark goal, isn't it? You know, for, for Riyad Mahrez and bending it in off the post. I thought I, it was. It, I, I got a really good performance from City and and one that they've needed I think you know they, they've, they've been as I say threatened to do it um, needing a few goals and, and obviously that will that will help them going forward now I've said it before and I'll say it again I've, I've already said it on this podcast I think by the time they get to play Chelsea on the 2nd of January 2021 they will be up there alongside Liverpool and Chelsea and Spurs challenging for the title. I mean, that they they've they had a, a difficult time at the start of the season. Everybody had a difficult time at the start of the season. They played later than a lot of other people. And also, you have to remember, uh, the, the fixtures are a little bit imbalanced at the beginning of the campaign. They've got some tidy fixtures now, that's for sure. Well, also, that they've, they've, they've had a difficult start, not just in terms of... The, the belated return to pre-season the, the congested schedule but in terms of the actual matches that they've had to play as well they've, yeah. they've been to Tottenham obviously that they, they, they've had Leicester Liverpool. at home they've played Liverpool so yeah I, listen there's points to be won um, I wish Pep Guardiola had picked Raheem Sterling who was my fantasy league captain in this game but um, you can understand why Mahrez got the nod when you, when you talked about his record against Burnley they've still got Aguero to uh, reintricate into the team as well so this by no means a Manchester City out of the title race and you mentioned confidence with this run it's a good chance for them to really fill their goal scoring boots and, and, and boost morale who did you captain Matt who was your captain in the end who did you go uh, for Bruno Fernandes oh good idea it worked for you okay I went for Diego Jota worked for nice. me too yeah so, so Crook how many points did you get in the regular fantasy league this week 
45, I think, at the moment. That's poor. That's, that's poor. all right. That's poor. That's poor. I'm well over yep. 50 and waiting for uh, waiting for the two key players to play tomorrow as well. Come on, the Ollie Watkins. We'll get to those games. In fact, do you know what? Let's look ahead to Monday night's action now. Towards the back post. And Vardy is there. Of course he is. Leicester's greatest ever player. We made a good start, but for us... What's very important is just a continuation for us to, to be really honest in our approach in the game. And Reid finished it off for his fourth of the season and brings Fulham level. We can cause teams problems, we can be successful this year. I know that for sure. We are a very good team. Leicester welcome uh, Fulham on Monday night. And the last time Fulham won at Leicester was 16 years ago. Collins John scored both goals for a side that had Edwin van der Sar in goal and Barry Howes up front, Matt. Oh, any hope for Fulham here? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I would thoroughly expect Leicester to win. I think Brendan Rodgers has got a 100% record against Fulham as well. I think he's won seven out of seven against them. So, uh, no, I, I expect Leicester to win. Uh, Leicester involved in drama on Thursday night. Crook, I suppose he'll make changes for this one. Leicester have won the last three at home to nil in all competitions and it's hard to argue against that happening again. If they do that, then they will be joint top with Spurs and Liverpool. Actually, if they win by six goals, they'll be top of the table. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Are they title contenders? No, not for me. Um, but they've had a good weekend uh, with the three teams directly above them. All points, Southampton just behind them, dropping points as well. <laughs> when you talk about title contenders, I think, again, squad depth comes into it. And there are certain players in that Leicester team that they, they can't afford to, to lose. Jamie Vardy well, they have lost um, a lot, being they, one over I think, the course of the season. I mean, you know, Soyonchu being one of them. Yeah, but he... The back. But he's the key man, Jamie Vard. They don't care. Uh, Iannaccio, the jury is still out on him. And I think we're also um, celebrating the anniversary of Jamie Vardy smashing in goals in 11 matches in a row. We played your commentary of his goal against Manchester United on Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday evening. We were asking the question, where does he rank in terms of the, uh, the top English strikers that the Premier League has ever seen? You've got to say... He's at least in the top 10. He could be pushing for the top five when you look at his remarkable backstory, the fact he's a, a title winner and he looks as good now entering the veteran stage of his career as he has done at any point previously. And I think that's testament to the way that he looks after himself on the pitch and that, uh, sorry, off the pitch and that decision to uh, make himself unavailable for England duty. I think Leicester have certainly reaped the benefits. Yeah, I mean, if you went to a cafe with him on a Saturday morning, I don't think you'd be that impressed with his, uh, his pre-match meal. But then again, you know, it takes all sorts. Uh, West Ham against Aston Villa is the Monday night football. It kicks off at eight o'clock. A West Ham win over Villa takes them above Southampton in the table. What a start to the season. They have had Matt Holland um, they haven't yeah, lost yeah. to Villa at home since Darren Bent was in the Villa team nine years ago do you know it has been a good start and, and particularly again you look at their fixture this West Ham and some of the, some of the difficult fixtures that they've had um, I always felt the bigger test for, for them was against teams that perhaps you'd expect them to get a result against because I think I think under David Moyes, they they can be a difficult team to play against for the big boys. You know, they can sit back and, and cause you problems. Antonio's back in training as well, which I think is is a big plus for them. Um, but I, I think David Moyes would be delighted, particularly when you look at the difficult games that they've had to be where they are in the table. This is a really fascinating game, actually. Looking forward to this one because Villa are good as well. And, then, you know, the start that they've had to the season, um, I, I, I think this could be quite a, quite a, 
an open game this one um, difficult to decide who, who wins it okay Friday and Saturday night might have been pivotal junctions in the race against relegation it's Pereira he is lifting that one towards the back post and it does arrive at Bartley on the volley at the edge of the six yard box and he puts it wide here's the corner again from Pereira edge of the box comes to Gallagher who tries to shot and scores Conor Gallagher from the edge of the penalty area and West Bromwich Albion draw first blood in the basement battle from the edge of the box it came out to Gallagher and almost in slow motion he's put it into the bottom left hand corner Ramsdale holds his arms out not much he could do about that one it's a fantastic finish from Gallagher again it was coming there on, on the, he just passes it in doesn't he just look at it on the monitor now just finds his spot great finish now Brian coming forward on that left foot lovely ball Cody lovely flick header and what a save by Johnson that's brilliant Burke with a header lovely ball in from the debutant Keane Bryan swung it in Burke got the flick on it and Johnson's made a terrific save and that's out for a call into the feet of McBurney McBurney slips a lovely ball through Burke inside the penalty cuts it back across Bulldog oh what a chance from 10 yards out Bulldog has put it over the crossbar by about 10 yards what an opportunity on his left foot the back of the net should be rippling but he's put it into the Smetherkin. Kovinovic though sets Pereira inside the box Robson Khan who wants it it's across to Furlong who's arriving with a header and he puts it over the top of the crossbar what an opportunity for West Bromwich Albion to wrap up the points Uh, let's start at the Hawthorns then. West Bromwich Albion beat Sheffield United in what was an absolutely thrilling football match to watch on Saturday night. It was proper Saturday night, edge of the seat drama. You can have your Poirot, the wheel, the wall, the singing on a stall, 39 shots, saves, agonising misses. This was great entertainment. The problem for Chris Wilder is that a lot of his team's games are like that, Matt Holland, but they all have the same ending, don't they? It's incredible. It's actually incredible. You know, one point from 10 games, I can't quite work it out. And, and particularly when you think about some of the chances that they had in, in the game at, at West Brom. I mean, wow. How, they, how have they not scored? I, I just don't know. I don't know how they've not scored. Bulldog, I don't know how he didn't score the goal. No, Mousset, I don't know how he didn't score the Mousset, goal. Mousset, I was scratching my head towards the end. chances. They, they haven't had a clean sheet. This is a team that was so good at the back last year. No clean sheet this season. Goals were an issue last year anyway. Hmm. You know, so, so it was. It, it's, this isn't something new. But they're creating more chances, aren't they? I mean, cracky. We know they've had some problems at the back. They've had some injuries. They've had to re- readjust things. The goalkeepers changed. But they're not um, that bad, are they? No, I mean, that's the frustrating thing. If you're if you're the owner of that football club and you're thinking, usually ten games in, one point in the Premier League, you're going down. There's no chance of a any way uh, of you staying up because because historically it's never happened before. You're like, change the manager. Let's start thinking about what we're going to do next season. But 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 ultimately, you watch that. If you watch that team every week, you you know that they're not as bad as their results are suggesting. They are. They are. No, but they're still going down. There's there's no chance they're coming back from this. And you know, confidence, as we mentioned is before, is drained. Crookie, they're five points from from West Brom who are, who are out of the relegation zone. How, how can you say they're not? They're not going to get out of it because history tells us that the teams don't recover history from this, this position. It's yeah. another it bold crookie claim. The crookie monster strikes again, eating up statistics like he eats up bowls of. I just can't see it. I had a fried rice prawn salad today for dinner. By the way, did you? Um, I, I can't see it. I, I, I can't see it. I think that the, the loss of um, O'Connell has been massive for them. Um, as you say, they're, they're leaking goals for fun. That they're missing chances. Confidence levels look through the floor. On the flip side. 
I was starting to write off West Bromwich Albion, but it was a massive win for them. I thought they played quite well at Manchester United the previous week. I think Gallagher in midfield is a player with Premier League class and they haven't got too many of those. I give them a fighting chance of getting out of trouble, possibly at the expense of Burnley because it is a four-horse race for me. Free from those four go down. It looks like that, doesn't it? West Brom's Matthias Pereira was absolutely superb in the game. Created nine chances, which is the most by a player in a single Premier League game so far this season. The most since Kevin De Bruyne uh, created ten for Manchester City against Norwich in July. He was incredibly lively. You mentioned Conor Gallagher, I think. He's on loan from Chelsea. He's, He's a decent player but they've got goals haven't they I mean they look like they've got marginally a more of a goal threat than Sheffield United and that is important Matt yeah well of course you know, ultimately you can be a set up to, to be hard to break down but the only way you're going to win games is by putting the ball in the back yeah. of the net and and so yeah of course it's important um, Pereira was very good uh, keeper had a good game as well he did he's done, he's done very like well him. all season I like yeah. him um, so, so look I, I, I think it's too early to write anybody you know, out at this stage of the season yeah, to, to say that so, they're down so desperate to just turn around and write people off. You know, it's out of order. But, well, the rot set in for Sheffield United before this season. We spoke about it um, post-lockdown yeah, once the adrenaline had worn off. Solskjaer getting rid of Sheffield United, telling Newcastle <laughs> to stay in their box. They, you can't... they actually, of all the teams in the Premier League, have missed the fans, haven't they? Yeah, they yes. have. They have. Yeah, they that's have. another one. One team who hasn't missed the fans is Newcastle United. Um, <laughs> um, two minutes towards the end of the game, it was nil-nil it had been nil-nil it had been very much nil-nil all the way through Uh, but the game was gone in 99 seconds at the end of the match where Newcastle struck twice Palace had 57% possession Uh, but but Matt Holland they got out Palace they don't win a game when they have more of the ball Crystal Palace no Zaha no threat you know we've just talked there about goals and, and goals give you a chance of winning games well Callum Wilson has been one of the best signings in in, of, in the Premier League this season for me because he offers he offers them something you know that they haven't had for a long time that threat in behind he's he's a constant menace he's a goal scorer he's made such a difference to that Newcastle team but as I said you know, Palace without Zaha just a no threat whatsoever uh, Joe Linton Jolton Jolton Jolinton whatever his name is um, you have to say it right because otherwise Newcastle fans get annoyed uh, he got on the score sheet just after Wilson 16 games without a goal for Joe Linton or Joe Linton um, how would that feel for him do you think well, I won't tell you what I was calling him on Friday night because I had uh, a little wager on Newcastle to win 1-0 and Callum Wilson to score the first goal. I know you uh, did. And I was so <laughs> delighted when Joellington, Jollington, Joe Ellington scored the goal. It made me he's so, so happy. He's so rubbish, he can't even miss when he's supposed to. Um, listen, it, it, I think he is a player who puts it all out there. His work rate is incredible. I don't think you can question his commitment to the cause. So... I was pleased for him in that respect that he got his rewards, just not for my ultimately losing bet. But I think Crystal Palace can count themselves fortunate. There are those four teams in the Premier League who are clearly worse than them because, as Matt said there, when Zaha doesn't play, they they are struggling. I mean, they're a bad team when they win games. They're an even worse team when they lose them. And I do wonder if there will be a change of manager at the end of the season maybe the ball before they want to go in in, in a different direction because long term I think it's Darren Lewis who uses the phrase if you circle the drain long enough eventually you, you fall down it they are going to come unstuck because there won't be three worse teams in the Premier League than them 
Yep, OK, West Brom next for Crystal Palace. Looks like a key game for them. Newcastle have got Villa on Friday night. Right, that's it from us. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday afternoon with Darren Lewis in time for your commute back home from work to preview all the weekend's games in the Premier League. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review and subscribe and tell all your mates about game day from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.